And everybody say meaningful Christmas. Yes, yes, yes. We want this is what we are embracing this season is a is a meaningful Christmas. Uh, we've talked about uh, why this is important. Um, we want this year has our ministry focus as a team has been on on uh, only on meaningful ministry. What is meaningful to Jesus? What is going to be meaningful to people? And so we as we have leaned into this season, felt pressed to. Uh, lean into this series looking at what is so what about this about Christmas is really really meaningful beyond all of the stuff and we obviously like all the stuff but beyond all the stuff why is Christmas so meaningful the first thing that we said is that Christmas is meaningful because it is a miracle pretty you're doing pretty good nine o'clock you're you remember the more you talk the less I have to or if I, the more I know you agree, the less I have to persuade. But Christmas is meaningful because it is a miracle. And because of that, this, this season should stir in you and in me an awareness of the miraculous. And for some of you, it should be, it'll be a fresh or even a new expectation of the miraculous. For, for, I hope for most of us, it's just, an, it's just a reminder that God is a God of miracles. For some of us, it might you might need to consider that God still does miracles. I pray that this season prompts in all of us a readiness to believe for and to pray for, to expect miracles. Last week, we said, secondly, that Christmas is meaningful because it means that God is... That was very bad. Uh, uh, because it means that God is with us. Yes, yes, God is with us. It is about the divinity of Jesus Christ, but it's also about the disposition of heaven, that God is on our side. He is inclined toward us, that he is with us. He is working for our good. He is saving us, healing us, helping us, and restoring us. We look through the scriptures and are nearly overwhelmed at what what. Matthew's audience would have understood by God is with us. Wow, that's a big deal. That's really good news. Merry Christmas. Today, we want to emphasize this. Someone asked me last night if I was going to install a seatbelt on this seat. (laughs) Uh, Today, Christmas is meaningful because... God became flesh. Say that out loud with me, will you please? God became flesh. Normally, at Christmas season, we, the, the majority of the, the biblical texts that we use are in Matthew or Luke. You, we wander over to Isaiah often a little bit, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us. Today, we're going to go to a passage that may not be as frequently read around the manger scene, but it's meaningful. It's necessary. Look with me just at a few verses from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Christmas is meaningful because God became flesh. Here's John writing. John begins his gospel with these words, in the Beginning was the Word. Whoa! 
well, boy, you, that should make you very excited or shocked or something. John, John has the audacity as a Bible boy, as a, as a good Hebrew Jewish Bible boy, as we have said. He begins his gospel with the words, in the beginning. Can you believe how audacious that is? He begins his gospel with the same words that begin the Pentateuch. He brings his readers, he wants to, he wants to shock his readers that what he's about to tell them, here you go, is as significant as creation itself. This is why it's important you don't read your Bible like it's the back of a mayonnaise jar. Wow, in the beginning, I, I want to ask John, where did you get, where did you, you have got some, boy, that's some courage. In the beginning. He's calling his readers to a dramatic, to dramatic attention. The Greeks, his, now his, so his, Judea, his Jewish audience would have been shocked and unaware that they are being brought in, right into, they are being shocked into recognizing that what he's about to say is just as important as any word in the Pentateuch. Even saying that again just makes me blow my mind. But to the Greeks, the Greeks, they, they, Aristotelian philosophy, they, they fancied themselves, uh, and this is me being fancy, they fancied themselves, they wanted to know, they would ask the question, they, they would say, what, what, what is the beginning and, and what is the origin of all things made? And so they would, they, would, they would seek to explore the fabric of the cosmos by asking the question, how did this happen and where did it come from? And so John writes to, John as a Bible boy, writes as a Jewish man to Jewish people, but also to a Greek audience, and he grabs them both by the collar and brings them to the person of Jesus and says, it's about Jesus. Jesus is as significant as creation itself. And if you're asking about the beginning, if you're asking what holds the cosmos together, it's the word. This is Jesus. He is, according to the Greeks, John says, Jesus is that essence of thought. He is the rational principle that governs the universe. And to the Jews, he says that that Jesus is Yahweh. I love it when people aren't prepared for that. Yeah, what? I thought he was the silver medal of the Trinity. Stop it. He's Yahweh. He says, John says that, uh, that his power this word to the jews the word the, 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 the even to use the word the, the phrase the word in this context would have referred to god himself and his power of creation and his power of redemption and his standard of righteousness and john is telling us and we're about to see exactly how he lays it out that jesus is god's power of creation redemption and righteousness it's vital that we get these first five, the shocking awe of these first five verses if we're going to get blown away by the next part. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, 
Nothing was made that has been made. Now, if that sounds like a, it's a little, uh, if that paragraph sounds a little um, uh, flowery, it is probably, probably John is quoting or using or uh, an early hymn that the church would sing together or say together. We don't know that for a fact, but it, it feels very hymnal. But what did he just say? He just said that through the word, all things came into existence. Everything owes its existence to Jesus. If we thought Matthew, if you thought Matthew was trying to convince us about big Jesus, John blows us away in five verses. Big Jesus. Everything owes its existence to Jesus. Hebrews will tell us that all things are held together by by his authority, by his power. So it's no wonder that in the book of Acts chapter 3 that Peter will say, if you're wondering how this, this man was made strong in the sight of you all, know this. It is the name of Jesus and the, and the faith in the name of Jesus and the power that comes through his name that has made this man perfectly well in the sight of you all. It is the name of Jesus that every tongue must confess his Lord and every knee must bow before. It is the name of Jesus alone that will save you from your sin. It is the name of Jesus alone that stands before between an eternity in hell and an eternity in heaven. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the Savior. If you do not know him, if you are not following him as your Savior today, repent of your sin. You say, how do I do that? Just start by saying it. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. And the best, the way I know how, I call out to the name of Jesus to save me. Lord Jesus, save me from my sin and seal me as your own for eternity. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you now as you have saved me forever. Verse four, I probably should have saved that that part for this part. Listen, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The darkness, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, John is bringing us to the the motif, the trajectory of the creation story that just as in creation, light broke into the darkness, initiating and enabling life itself, that Jesus is the light that brings life into humanity. And just as darkness could, <laughs> just as in Genesis 1, the darkness didn't even put up a fight. God said, light be, and it was. The light didn't go. It wasn't like, there wasn't seven rounds to a TV time limit, brother, between lights and darkness. There's no competition. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't comprehend it, can't grasp it, can't overcome it. So we sit at these first five verses in breathless wonder at who Jesus is and what he has done. That he is, he is, he is God himself. He is, he is God creator, God redeemer, God, light bearer, God, life giver. Do you feel that? I can't 
force you to, but I pray the Holy Spirit helps you to feel how awesome, in, in this sense, how transcendent Jesus is. And now verse 14. The word became flesh. The word became flesh and made, the NIV says, made his dwelling among us. You might have read tabernacled among us. That's kind of a multisyllabic word that perhaps some might skip over and go, huh? Um, But it is, but John is drawing this particularly for his Jewish audience. He is drawing a similarity, the principle. He's reminding them of the tabernacle of Moses that dwelled in the middle of the camp that housed the very glory of God. That the glory of God was in their, literally in their midst. The pillar of fire the, and, the, this, and, the, and the cloud of, this, of smoke by day, the pillar of fire by night that lifted up and moved around them. The glory of God that they, they, they visibly watched. They were, they, were, they were far more aware. Listen, the people of Israel were far more aware of God's present glory with them than even, than even of you know, tablets and whatever else. They were, they were, of course, conscious of the, of the law, but the thing that made them different, the thing that distinguished them was the present glory of God. And John said, as Jesus walked among us, he was the tabernacle of Yahweh. We have seen his glory. John's, now this is his testimony. We have seen his glory. And then he says, let me tell you, it's the glory of the one and only son, a glory like none other, who came from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. One more time, everybody just say the word became flesh. Not, 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 not the form of flesh, not, but, but actual flesh. If you, if you can grab your own hands or your own arms, you know, don't grab somebody else, and where they, especially if they don't want to be <laughs> grabbed. But, uh, but you might just feel like the, the word became real flesh. Now, John is using this word, and for that, we are mildly grateful because if it were Paul, we might say, hey, wait a minute, what do you mean flesh? Because Paul says flesh bad, flesh, you know, sinful nature. But John's not using it like that whatsoever. What's John talking about? He is using, yes, a strong and almost a crude word that's, that he wants to stress to us that the word, the transcendent word, tremendous cosmic power, even in living space, he 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 that the that the that the transcendent word became actual human yes, yes. flesh. Wow. John here is referring to that flesh refers to the. Ooh, this is so good. You got to get this. The whole person. The whole person. Jesus, the Word, became a whole real, fully human person. And, he, and as he did so, he revealed the glory of God and he brought grace and truth. The word became flesh. That means God came near. God 
entered into our skin and our experience as us. God became flesh to reveal himself and to rescue us. Merry Christmas. <laughs> now, now, how is this, or why is this significant? Well, we've already sat in wonder and awe of it, but let me offer you at least some thoughts of significance, of some meaningfulness about this this morning. How or why does this increase, does this press the, the press meaning into this season for us? Because God became flesh, it means, it means at least these three things. Number one, it means that God loves us fully. God loves us fully. The incarnation of Jesus Christ tells us that God values human life. The incarnate God became man. He became flesh and blood. God became a, a pre-born, an unborn human being. God, God became an actual human being. That God, and it tells us that God values all of what it means to be human. That God became man does two things. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. It re, it, first of all, it reaffirms the truth that we are made in the image of God. It reaffirms the image of God, and because of the incarnation, it redeems the image of God. It reaffirms our original design and redeems us to God's eternal purpose. <laughs> Sorry, when I shake like that, I'm not trying to get you to clap. I'm clapping. Uh, the incarnation, let me say it again, it reaffirms our original design. And it redeems. Oh, it redeems. It redeems our eternal purpose. To be human is to bear the image of God and to do so uniquely among all the cosmos and creation. Genesis chapter 1, verses 20, 26 and 27. The scripture says that this, that God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them. Do you get it? Three times, imago Dei, in, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created his man in his image, in the image of God. He created man, male and female. He created them. We'll talk about that part probably next month when we get to Genesis. But the creation of man as, man, as male and female is an actual expression of the glory of God. And then in verse 31, after he finishes it, this is the first time. After all the days, when he creates, you know, fishies and birdies, he said, that's good, right? He creates flowers and plants, he says, good, right? Moon, stars, he creates humanity, and he says, very good. We are unique. He said, are you, why are you being so arrogant about humanity? Because I am praising God. We are the image. We are the likeness. 
It is an art. To be human is to bear the image of God. It is an honor that is not earned. It is not achieved. It is not acquired. It's not up for a vote. It cannot be discarded. It cannot be changed. Only a biblical worldview views and sees the value of human life as intrinsic, as assigned to it by a creator. Only a biblical worldview says, oh, wait a minute, humanity has an intrinsic, inherent, assigned, stamped value. Every other worldview under the sun forces humanity to earn some kind of value. You are valuable if you are pleasant to look at. You're valuable as long as you're pleasant to look at. You're valuable if you have if you perform, if you have something to offer. If you add to add to the add to the performance factor, to the bottom line, to the something. You're valuable according to what you contribute or to how you appear. And without trying to overly offend anybody who might be with us or watching online, and there are and, and other even other world religions. Let's just say it. It you know how you know why you do you know do you know how you are valuable to Allah? If you obey. If you don't obey, you're an infidel. You are not human. The dis- that's why the disobedient can become objects of ownership and slavery or whatever. Being made in the image of God means that God has decided your value. God has stamped you with his own image. And it's, it's frankly, <clears throat> it's frankly not up to you. I hope I have this later in my notes, but let me just say it right now that you, you must begin to accept that God has already de- decided that you're valuable. Your value isn't determined by your mood or your performance. And you don't have permission to blaspheme God by, dis, by showing disdain for who you are. When did God come near? And God became flesh and dwelt among. When did he do that? I know, 2,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something before the foundation of the world. Yes, thank you, theologian. But when did he come near? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, he, Christ, died for us. He, when did he come near? He came near to us when we weren't perfect. As a matter of fact, he came near when we weren't even pleasant to be around. It was not a pleasant nearness. He values us because of the image we bear and because he knows the power that his loving redemption has. 
That's why he comes near. That's why he values us. We are stamped with his image and he knows the power of redemption. Therefore, again, I'll say it. We have no permission to despise or dishonor any part of our humanity or our person. You must cease this, any sort of self-loathing inner dialogue. Repent of that. You are blaspheming the image of God. Oh, you're not. You say, well, I just want to be humble. No, you're not being humble is to say, I am made in the image of God. I am an image bearer. Anything else that isn't perfect in my life is temporary. I'm made in the image of God. And if I have placed my faith in Christ, I'm a new creation in Christ. Not only has Christ reaffirmed the image of God, he has redeemed my eternal value. God, God, we're still on God loves us fully. Listen, he became fully human in order to redeem us fully. There isn't any part of you that God has not redeemed because Jesus Christ became all of who you are. All of your psyche, all of anybody, what about my, my, there's my mind, my soul, my body, all of you are, is valuable to heaven and all of you has been redeemed. Every single part of you is loved by God. And has been redeemed by him. He owns you lock, stock, and barrel. Is that okay to say? I don't know if that was bad or not. I'll get to that in just a minute. But he's redeemed all of us, our soul, our mind, our body. This is just one of the reasons why healing is so important. Because of the the image of God. Your flesh matters to God. Your soul, your freedom, your wholeness, all of that is right. It is true and important because God became flesh. Even your health and your prosperity is important. It's not eccentric. It's not irrelevant. Our human experience is sacred. And the human experience was never designed to be one of suffering and lack and pain. As if somehow that were God's idea or design. It's not. God hates suffering. He loves us. We are valuable to him. And we know this because he came near, because the word became flesh. Furthermore, if God became flesh and has loved me fully and has redeemed me fully, then that means, secondly, that I should fully love God. Has God redeemed me fully? Yes. Has God become all, has in, in, in Christ becoming a complete and full human being and redeeming me, not only reaffirming the, the image of God, but now he has, he, has, he, has a, he has redeemed me and brought me back. So now I live under, and I would say, an affectionate, holy, happy obligation to love God with everything that he has redeemed. Yeah. 
1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver from your futile way of life you inherited from your forefathers, but, you, but with the precious blood as a, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Listen to what Peter said. You've been redeemed. We think, oh, that means I get to go to heaven. Yes, but you've actually been redeemed from a futile way of life. You have been redeemed so that your life can now be meaningful and have purpose. God, it's a, he saved you for a meaningful life. Yes. It really is a wonderful life. Yes. <laughs> Nothing but net. First uh, Corinthians 6.20, for you have been bought with a price. How much of me? All of you. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body. Well, while you are in that thing, glorify God. With it, in it, all about it, this you are to be an instrument that glorifies God. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, not just your carcass, but your whole self as a living and holy sacrifice. My life is a living and holy sacrifice, which is a reasonable act of spiritual worship under God. (sighs) Why? Because I'm redeemed fully. And I love him back with everything that he has redeemed. There is no part of me that is not part of what Christ has entered into, affirmed, redeemed, and then therefore can be devoted back to him in worship. This is why Deuteronomy comes back to us again. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your muscles, all your organs, all your brain, all your intellect, all your affections. Everything about you should be lived unto God. Your devotion, your affection, your energy, all of your excellence devoted to God, loving Him fully. Merry Christmas. And then thirdly, this, we should love one another fully. It's just a logical sequence here. If God became flesh, it means God loves us fully. If God became flesh, he has redeemed us fully. We should love him back. And if God became flesh, then it absolutely, absolutely, fundamentally, and forever changes how we relate to human beings. I shouldn't say it changes it. It reaffirms what's always been true and redeems it as eternal. We must see others through the lens of the incarnation. Literally, and work with me here with me, what I mean by this, as if they were Jesus. No, I don't mean kneeling. If I mean if Jesus, I mean, I'm going to treat you, I'm not going to fall at your feet. I'm not going to lose my mind if I see you. But, uh, but in terms of value, in terms of I'm not, in terms of not... If, when did God come near to us? When we earned it? When we were perfect? When we were pleasant to be around? No. He initiated and decided, he, re, he reaffirmed and redeemed our value, and that is how we must treat others. They are stamped with divine value. 
We honor them. We value them. We love other people profoundly, profoundly as the Lord does and unto the Lord. We love people the same way that they loved us, not waiting for our perfection or even for it to be pleasant. We too, we must come near and pull others close. Close. Because they are image bearers. And because, not only because they are image bearers, but because we know this, that redeeming love will always bring out the best in them as well. That your redeeming love will kindle the fire of divine design in them. Consider, friends, the incarnation's impact on how we treat others. Not only as Imago Dei, but we consider Redemptoanthropos Anthropos, that they are the image of God and they are redeemed human beings. We must see, we must relate to others according to who they were designed to be and who they are redeemed to be. Yes. Consider just how immensely significant this is in all the time, every time, but let's just but take a snapshot of 2020. How does the incarnation crash up against the futility and the corruption and the failures that we've seen even this year? What does the incarnation do to our perception of race? To our evaluation of others based on melanin or language or culture? It's not. It's only relevant if in, in that we can delight in its beauty and its art. But that person there, though they don't, they may not talk like me, or look like me, or dress like me, or even act like me. I may not even be a huge fan of how they're acting, but they're an image bearer. They're an image bearer, and and Yahweh has already decided their value, and He has placed His face on theirs. And I believe he will take it personally, my treatment of them. And the, and the word became flesh, not only to reaffirm that, but to redeem it. So how do I act toward them? We, church, we really do have the solution. How can people say, oh, if you say Jesus is the solution? Oh, he really is. All you got to do is think about it for about a hot minute and think that he solved everything. Theft and violence. These, uh, this is against another image bearer. No. Uh, what about oppression and cruelty? Should be, it, it has to be eliminated. What about labor and management? Yeah, see, I was waiting for you to look at me. I was waiting for my administrative big shot pastor. He's a real big shot. He sits back there pastoring people on the internet, and he's a he's a big shot with a multi-bazillion dollar company. Anyway, I wish they gave him more multi-bazillions, but they'll catch up. 
What does the incarnation have to do with labor and management? Oh, that's great for church, but now I've got to get to work and got to deal with employees. Those are image bearers, and you can't pay them as little as possible and expect the most out of them. You're vile. You are blaspheming. You can't import people from other countries and pay them nothing and say, well, I didn't know. Blasphemy. Medicine cannot be an economic decision or a political decision. It must be based on the image bearer. What's it going to take to care for an image bearer? We got to throw everything we have. We have an image bearer. What about your family? They're image bearers. Strangers. People aren't to be shamed or feared or held at bay. We, our, we are image bearers. And the word became flesh to reaffirm and to fully redeem us. Because God became flesh, we know that God loves us fully. Because God became flesh, we can and should love God fully. And because he became flesh, we must fully love one another. Merry Christmas.
stand together and maybe just sing that chorus one more time because God became flesh. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you loved us that in this way, God has shown his love to us. That while we were yet sinners, God became flesh. That God, you died for our sin to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. Lord, to remove all of our fallenness and brokenness and failure and to take it upon yourself in order to restore us and redeem us as sons and daughters. So, Lord, we place our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We live for Jesus. We follow him. We love you fully. And we love others as you have loved us. We do this by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us today. And for this, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. If you have an amen, why don't you let it out and let the Lord hear it. Can we give the Lord thanks? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Merry Christmas, friends. The Lord bless you. Have a fantastic week. We look forward to seeing you next weekend.